Life Audio. Hey, Dr. Bill Sinyard here with the Gospel Rant. We are about proclaiming God's love to the unlovable. And a little or a lot, that's all of us, if we were just a little honest. Well, Song of Songs is really a classic before and after story. You remember those commercials with the testimonies? Before I weighed 300 pounds, but now, after Bob's weight loss formula, I am 200 pounds. I have my life back and everybody likes me. Or... I was losing energy, but then I took testosterone gummies and look how I can play with my grandkids. <laughs> or I was forgetting things and that was embarrassing as a CEO of a major Fortune 500 company. But then I started doing these mental exercises every day. I remember everything. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Well, the events in the queen's life, you know, just like us. Relationships and choices and context had beat her up and sucked substance and identity away from her until the king came, until the king's powerful gaze came. Something's happened to this lady, and now she's making a splash, and everybody can notice is she is now the after picture. She's different. She's more her, and this is her point of view. Don't take my word for it. It's her testimony we're, we're listening to. From the beginning, I said, this was the greatest gospel presentation in the Old and New Testament. And this is the epilogue, the finale, the parallel with the prologue. This is the answer to the question, ultimately, if you step back, why did Jesus die for me? Why did Jesus die for you? Why did Jesus die for this queen? Well, was it so that I wouldn't be punished for my many, many crimes and choices against God? Yeah. Uh, but is that it? Well, do I enter heaven with a ticket that says debt's paid, account zeroed? Yeah. Is that it? No. God, no. Jesus also died, oh, this is so important, to purchase all of the love in the universe for me. It's paid for. It's mine. There's no more that I get later when I get to heaven, no less that I, you know, that I mess up between now and then, thank God. And I think we know that, but I wonder if we're experiencing that or even if we expect to experience that. See, the problem now is that my midbrain, your midbrain is so messed up, no matter who you are, that you have a hard time getting that love. In fact, many of us struggle with whether or not we're lovable enough. Or not, right? And that's why we say we're proclaiming God's love for the unlovable. Look, nothing has hurt us more than relationships gone south, disappointing relationships, abusive relationships, victimization, betrayals, lies. Our midbrains are doing a pretty good job at protecting us, you, from being hurt again. But as a result, you can't experience the love of Christ for us, for you. And you're like me. You've learned to fake it. We good Christians, we've learned to hide our doubts and fears. We've learned to deny that we're afraid that one day when we see Jesus face to face, we'll see great disappointment in his eyes. So what we have had tried to accomplish in this series is to give Christians who are feeling a little or a lot unlovable, unloved and unlovely baby steps that, that we can do to undermine our midbrain's protective barrier just a little bit. A simple and cluttered gospel, right? So how's it going? Look, if you're still 
thinking this is just a book study and you're thinking from a very heady, logical perspective, you're missing the good stuff. The point of the gospel here in the Old Testament and the gospel of the New Testament is for us to begin to experience a little or a lot, the height and width and length and depth of the love of Christ for us right now. Read Paul in Ephesians 3. And thank you for testimonies. Keep them coming. I am so gratified. Praise God. Uh, Bill at gospel-app.com. I'm going to put the best of them on the website. Thank you. And might even put some in my upcoming book on the Song of Songs. Welcome to the epilogue of the Song of Songs. And this show is wildly important like the rest of them. We're going to get into it right after this short word from our sponsors. We'll be right back. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Epilogue, chapter 8, verse 6. The queen says, place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal over on your arm for love is as strong as death its jealousy is unyielding as the grave it burns like a blazing fire like a mighty flame the seal though not popular with some commentators who interpret this as ownership you know like slave ownership versus what i think it means which is mutual exclusivity it it represents a sure and public confirmation of one's love that doesn't fade so think a wedding ring right Confidence, assurance, permanence. The seal, which could also be a signet ring, identifies either the person as the owner or the one sending a letter. It also refers to relationship with God in Haggai 2.23. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring. There it is. For I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. So it's not ownership, it's, it's a statement of a sure relationship, of honor. And, and this case is where God chooses the partner. And in this case, the union is permanent, God initiated, protected. This love is unconquerable. It's greater than shield, the grave. I mean, you look at the grave, people put in the grave, but they don't typically come up. This, this seal, this love is great. It's, it's greater than jealousy. Many waters will say more in just a second. It's a high force. It's a high gift. So this girl is Velcroed to God's heart, the king's heart, to his arm. Uh, there was a classic David Letterman sketch a while back where he put on a Velcro suit and he bounced up on a Velcro wall and stuck there. I found it, so check this out. Now, this wall is again covered with uh, the, the other half of the Velcro, right? <laughs> All right. Now, uh, have you ever done anything like this? I haven't, no. Okay, maybe 
a drum roll. Now, theoretically, I'll, I'll hit the wall and stay there, right? Yes, theoretically. Okay. <laughs> go high. As high as I can go. Okay, okay, can you... Per Gledhill, she wants their union to be intimate, right, over your heart in public, on your arm. This is a fantastic reflection of our relationship with God. Sometimes we forget that he's in the heavenlies. And, and think of him publicly proclaiming his love for you to all who are his. His banner over you, over me, is love, meaning publicly he's saying you're in you're his beloved child, son or daughter, with whom he is well pleased. He's saying that if only we could hear it. Remember 7, 5, the king is held captive by his love to me, the, the queen says. He's not ashamed. He's not hesitant. We're tattooed on the holy, holy right arm. So why is this necessary? I mean, after all, isn't this a questioning of God's faithfulness by the queen? Yeah. But this is exactly what my fallen heart still does again and again. This is what the queen did in movement one, right? Where are you gazing your flocks, remember? Now she wants to see it. <laughs> she wants to feel it. Uh, and the Bible doesn't approve of the weakness for the flesh, but it allows it. So to admit this is the first step to reappropriating trust in God's love for me, this faith. So Gledhill points out that this type of doubt is natural. For she knows without a shadow of a doubt that he is the center of her life, but is it true that she is the center of his? Perhaps she has lingering doubts, for she needs constant reassurance and affirmation. I do too. She knows that she has already captured him, that's 7-5, but will he escape? <laughs> will she lose him to someone or something else? Uh, normal human doubts this side of heaven, I get that. So we want to know, we want to be assured uh, so I need this constant God-sourced faith. Yeah. So I think at this point she's she's getting it, but she's afraid of her fears and paranoia returning. Faith. Faith is the God-sourced present ability and power to actually believe that Jesus did accomplish the gospel on my behalf right now and now and now. So I've had a bad week or month or year and I don't feel right about who I am or my life and I wonder if God's alive or good or if he's alive, if he likes me or cares at all. I'm afraid of dying. I'm afraid of living. I'm afraid of relationships. I feel empty. I don't feel right. And so there's red flags popping off and then I hear something and become aware of my situation, my, my feelings. And miraculously, I remember that I'm at the cross and the Holy Spirit is in me and I'm holding up empty hands and plead to be filled with this God-sourced faith, this power to have the truth of the gospel applied to my heart, like Velcro, now so that I can see my life and situation through that lens. The righteous live by and through such a faith. This is... All of this is written to Christians. So he's not speaking of salvation faith, right? It's a faith so that I can actually walk in step with the Spirit today, Galatians. And without such an ongoing rush of faith, all I can do is work hard to shine up that natural fruit. It's very wearying. Now, one of the next series is, is going to be Galatians 5, the work of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And all of the fruit of the Spirit, including faith, is something I can ask for and I desperately need. 
So, you know, if I'm shining up the works of the flesh, I might do short-term sprints of doing sacrifice and worship and prayer and things like that, caring for other people, but it's just short-term sprints and I'm worn out. But as a child of his, I have an ongoing invitation to run to God with empty hands that clearly lack God-sourced faith, that have until just recently been, uh, these hands have been working so hard to earn his favor, to earn his attention, Um, right? But Jesus already paid for that. So uh, so with this God-sourced faith, I can admit that I was living like an orphan, and, and I want to remember who I am, an adopted, fully adored son of God. I want, I want to feel that seal upon his heart again. And that takes ongoing power from him to diminish the works of the flesh that deceive me regularly. John Calvin wrote that sons and daughters of God can regularly ask the Spirit to give them the power to access a deep sense of pleroforia, as Greek for assurance. And, and that's assurance of how God feels towards me right now. That's that seal that the queen wanted. And how good is that? This heavenly source pleroforia causes us to know right now, not only that God is good or even that God is good to us, we become more confident that God loves us as we are, with all of our uglies intact, with all of our past intact, with all of our doubts. This pleroforia pushes against that. Our doubts and fears and shame are for a moment diminished or made impotent. For a moment, not perfectly, that's heaven, but it's noticeable. Boy, I want that more. It's beyond emotionalism. This is identity stuff. This is identity level awareness, and it changes us. The dance begins to rise to a much higher and much more personal level. This spirit-sourced assurance frees us to more confidently draw near to God, Hebrews 10, 22. It enables us to calmly look up into God's measuring gaze, expecting to be adored. You know, when you when you are in the presence of somebody who you, you know loves you, when you look into their eyes, you expect, right? This is that what that faith does. When I look up into the eyes of Jesus, I expect to be adored as if I'd been faithful, perfectly faithful. What an amazing miracle to know beyond my brain's ability to comprehend that this relationship is mine eternally. And I can become today more confident that I'm not going to mess it up. Such a mysterious boldness springs out of this unreasonable pleroforia of God's favor towards us, ignited by this heavenly sourced spirit faith. Can you imagine how that would change your worship? How that would change your prayer? I mean, I see books and books and books and books on how to pray, but the big deal is I need pleroforia, and that would motivate me to want to pray. Communion, oh my gosh, ministry. Christian men and women can experience this pleroforia a little or a lot now, and it makes us feel confident that we're not alone, that God's with us, God's with me. The game's changed. It's as if we can begin to hear God whispering in our ears, you are my beloved daughter or son with whom I'm well pleased. The difference that that makes is amazing. So this is probably a good place to take another break for a word from our sponsors. We will be right back. So uh, back to the Song of Songs, chapter 8, verse 6. His love is as strong as death. His jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like a blazing fire, like a mighty flame. So death is is portrayed as a powerful force that consumes, devours, that you can't escape. It's the enemy, it's undefeatable until Jesus. And love is that strong. Great poetry. 
It's a powerful statement. In the Old Testament, oh my goodness, for the writer to say that love is, is, is that strong, I mean, that's amazing. In the Old Testament, in the New Testament, we can actually see that in truth. Love has proved that it is even stronger than death, right? The cross, the resurrection. And likewise, Sheol, the, the grave, is portrayed as a monster with insatiable appetite, gaping jaws that consume the good and the bad alike, the strong and the weak, right? This is the love that we need to hear that God has for us. It's that powerful. Nothing's going to defeat it. I can't mess it up. It's bigger and more powerful and more active and immense than even death and the grave. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ, Romans 8. In light of this, can we begin to see why divorce is such an anathema to God? If, if this love is available to us for us, then divorce is, is absurd. And we'll see that in heaven. Uh, we, we, we just will. And I'm no judgment to you who are divorced. Uh, I get it. Uh, all I'm saying is we're going to be experiencing a love that we just had no idea of and struggled to, to access. This love is like flashes of fire or lightning bolts, right? Reseph, uh, he was the Canaanite god of war and pestilence. And love is powerful and sudden. Marsha Falk says it's a fierce and holy blaze. <laughs> I, I love that. Um, this could be translated the flame of Yash, he says, which would be making it the only place in, where the name of God is actually mentioned in the Song of Songs. I mean, I like that. Uh, I think that's probably right, but it could also be translated as a mighty great flame. Verse 7, many waters cannot quench love, rivers cannot wash it away. If one were to give all the wealth of his house for love, it would be utterly scorned. Many waters, you can see that reference in Psalm 29, Psalm 32, Psalm 77, Psalm 107, Psalm 144. And here, in all of those, they represent proverbial waters of chaos. God began to, to subdue them in creation, and he continues to subdue them and bring order. And this is the love that the queen is getting. It's changing her. She's already married, but she's beginning to really get this love of the king, and she's, her life is beginning to feel more ordered. Isn't that what we want more of? We won't get it all till heaven. And if we got it all the time, our heads would explode. We wouldn't be ready for it. What would, what would that fullness shalom feel like and look like? But we want more than we have now, right? We don't want to, I'm tired of faking it till I make it. I'm tired of denial. I'm tired of just shoving it aside. And, uh, you know, that's why we've been droning on about the simple and cluttered gospel. And if you've been saying it twice a day, you likely know what I'm talking about. And thanks for the testimony. The gospel is the power of God to believe. Believe what? Well, among many other things, to believe and experience the height and width and length and depth of the love of Christ right now. It changes things. And remember, the after picture, freedom to go, freedom to be selfish, freedom to desire glory, freedom to dance, freedom to initiate love with God, uh, to give your love to God. All right. Epilogue review. Before picture, an immature, beat-up girl whose real value was her virginity. Oops. We have a young sister, her brothers say. This is back in the before picture. And her breasts are not yet grown. So what shall we do for our sister for the day she is spoken of? Meaning, back then, they're going, what do we do on the day when somebody proposes to our sister and there's a betrothal? Well, you know, if she's a virgin... 
She's worth something, and if she's not in our society, right? Verse 9, if she is a wall, we will build towers of silver on her, reward her. If she's a door, we'll close her up with panels of cedar. So they figure if she's a virgin, we're going to honor her with a dowry that would reflect the value. The door, the metaphor for promiscuity, uh, we'll do all we can to keep her, you know, unstained, keep her pure. And here the brothers may or may not be good guys protecting the woman or protecting the the value of the the marriage. So we know that she was a door. She said so herself. But something has happened. Something about the gaze of the king that changes her social status. She now claims she's a wall. Well, is she lying? Is she crazy? Is she deluding herself? This is after the marriage to the king, too, by the way. I'm a wall, and my breasts are like towers, meaning I'm a woman of great substance and worth and value. And thus, I have become in his eyes like one finding shalom. There it is. In his gaze, it was his gaze that caused her to find, to experience, to to become whole, to become a queen. So great. If you missed everything else in the entire series and got this, it's worth the price of admission. Since I became, she says, it's perfect tense, so I became at one point in time in the past the marriage uh, or the consummation, and I was and still am in his eyes, in his gaze as one finding, the words used eight times in the songs, shalom, peace, fullness, wholeness, no inner strife about the relationship. Finally, my critical inner voice is shut up. And then I was and still am, right? Seal on on his arm. There's a continuity. There's a permanence. So, uh, and she's using not the typical expression of favor, hain. Instead, she uses the the loaded word shalom. And more than likely, it's a play on the the name Solomon, uh, the Shulamite. So she has, in a sense, re-become a virgin, by his gaze, the value, the social value of that. The lover's love. Oh, and by the way, the healing of the past, too. There's healing there. There's justice there. The lover's love is, is reforming. It's that reforming. It makes the promiscuous virgins again. It makes those who had been raped virgins again. Spiritually speaking, uh, relationally speaking, there's no more stain. There's no more... Um, significant hit. It makes the immature mature. She has been given back value, lost by unfortunate choices or by the horrible, abusive things that have been done to her. Her womanhood, her personhood, her identity is now restored. She's now the queen. Well, I think most of us expected something like that when we became a Christian. We didn't have words to it, but something was changing and we knew it and we felt new life. We felt a new heart. We felt new substance, a new hope. Right? Um, Verse 11. Solomon had a vineyard in Baal Hamon. He let out his vineyard to tenants. Each was to bring for its fruit a thousand shekels of silver. All right. It was common to have keepers pay rent in the form of equivalent money, Isaiah 7, 23 mentions a plot of land with a thousand vines from which was due a thousand pieces of silver. 
Uh, one commentator estimates that keepers made an annual profit of 15 to 20 percent. Tenant farmers, on the other hand, kept some fraction of the produce, so maybe 25 to 50 percent is their wages. Verse 12, but my vineyard, which belongs to me, is under my supervision and control. You see how she's grown? The thousand shekels are for you, O Solomon, O king of peace, and 200 are for those who tend its fruit. I mean, literally, my vineyard is at my disposal, me, my personhood, mine to give to whoever I want. So daughters of Jerusalem, think worship, think uh, prayer. I'm, I'm coming and I'm giving myself to you. Think saying the simple uncluttered gospel. I can do this. I'm under your careful protection. There has been a tremendous transformation. Uh, one commentator said this is the golden text of women's liberation. Uh, women's liberation happens ultimately when God liberates women. Yeah, verse 13. You who dwell in gardens, companions are giving heed to your voice. Make me hear. Uh, look, I'm, I'm stumped by that passage. It's difficult for commentators. I will tell you, I'm not quite sure what that means. Verse 14. I know what this means. Come away, my lover, and be like a gazelle or like a young stag on the spice-laden mountains. We've heard this before. And she's basically saying, hurry, I can't wait. Now's good. Well, you get the idea by now. She wants more from her relationship with the king. No longer is she hesitant or self-deprecating or afraid of her dirty little secret inside of her, the uglies. She's pleuraphoria. She's God-sourced confident of his love for her as she is. Again, how would this change her outlook on her identity, relationships, worship, the bad things that have happened in the past to her and by her, Bible studies, evangelism? How can we get this more? Well, one very useful, and and I'm telling you, time-proven way is to keep saying, to use tools like the simple and cluttered gospel. I've had great success. Many people have had great success. Again, thanks for the testimonies of saying the simple and cluttered gospel twice a day, preaching that gospel to that unreached people group. Well, here it is one more time. Jesus follower, strictly because of what Jesus did for you 2,000 years ago, God actually loves you. He loves you with all of his heart as much as the Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Father. He can't love you any more or any less than he does right now. He loves you as you are, not as you should be or could be. You can't add to this love or take away from it. Now, I get it. It often feels like you've messed it up or need to do something so that God would like you better. Not so. How do you experience it more now? Simple Good news. There is something you can do and are invited to do. You can take daily baby steps to ask the spirit inside of you to make you know. Experience and feel just how much God loves you right now. Just ask. Ask again later today. Ask tomorrow. Make it a a spiritual habit. Well, next time it's going to be a real treat because I'm going to be reading three movements of the novella. The screenplay-esque of the Song of Songs that I wrote, that's available on Amazon. And I'm hoping this will just bring it all together. So I'm just going to read them directly through. and You can just sit back and listen to it, trying to piece it together and let the Holy Spirit do his thing. I'm working on a new book on the Song of Songs. If you want to know when that's going to be published, bill at gospel-app.com. Um, give me more testimonies. Thank you for those who said something. We're going to post some of them on the website, maybe put some of them in the new book. How has this gospel of the Song of Songs affected you, changed you, uh, changed how you feel about yourself and others, made you feel more love from God and others and and love more God uh, and, and others more?
Another favor, make sure you follow this podcast. I'm beginning a new series on September 24th. Back in February, I did a three-part podcast series on the love of God for the unlovable, the unloved, and the unlovely. It was around Valentine's Day. It was very popular, very well-received. So many of you not only listened to them, but passed them on. Thanks, by the way. So I'm reprising and expanding and clarifying the series, building upon it. I've updated the core three podcasts, Your Brain in Love, Right What Happens in Your Brain, Ancient History of Love, and Silencing of Eros. The last two have to do with uh, the, the ancient Romans' view of love. Those three podcasts alone were designed to help us see more clearly just how confusing the whole topic of love really is today, even within the church. Our view of love looks so much more like the ancient Romans than Paul's. Then uh, we turn, after those three, we turn to look at case studies of just what happens when the unloved, the unlovely, and the unlovables bump into God's love. There's the unlovable Samaritan woman, the rich young ruler, the prostitute. We will likely go to the Old Testament as well. Gomer, that's an amazing study of God's intervention for a sex addict. Oh my goodness. Well, you get the idea. Starting September 24th, it'll go till uh, we begin our Christmas series. This could, I'm telling you, this could really ignite real change in your life, your family, your worship, your prayers, uh, your church, and, and hey, look, maybe even the country. All right. Oh my goodness, you'd be surprised about how many people, uh, random people would take a chance and listen to the Gospel Rant for 30 minutes. Could change lives. Send me comments. I'll post the best on my website, bill at gospel-app.com. Thanks to Life Audio for their support. And as always, take heart, child of God. I'm Don Hawkins, inviting you to be encouraged with my weekly podcast, Encouragement for You. To subscribe, go to lifeaudio.com.